Joshua. Actually, the book of Judges, I'm going to talk a little bit about Joshua, but the book of Judges is where I'd like you to turn today. Judges uh, number uh, 9, chapter 9. I want to give you a little background about this story. I've entitled this, The Wisdom of the Olive Tree. We're going to talk about trees today. (laughs) Remember, I'm from Forks. My dad was a logger. I know about cedar trees and dug firs and I know about hemlocks and, and shakes and shingles and all that kind of stuff. I don't know that much about olive trees, so I've done a little bit of investigation and I have found that the olive tree is a great example for all of us. We can learn some lessons from the olive tree. But I want to give you a little background. Le- leading up to this text is a a miserable tale. (laughs) Judges, as you know, recounts this pattern of Israel of serving God with all their heart and then getting distracted by something else, something that they put in front of God, an idol, politics, relationships, sensuality, sin, whatever it is. They put something in front of their dedication to God and then all of a sudden the The country suffers and it spirals into into a a state that they call out and they ask God to save them. And God in his graciousness always saves them. They repent. They turn back to God. They live for God for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and then all of a sudden they're distracted again. They're on this roller coaster and that's what Judges records and it probably parallels our life to some degree because there are times that we're on fire for God and then pretty soon we find ourselves drifting because of all the other voices or the other things that are drawing us. So that's kind of the background of the book of Judges. They had just lived, Israel had, under 40 years of peace and prosperity under a wonderful judge, one of the best judges they ever have, Her name was Deborah. Now, don't let that surprise you, but there were women leaders in the Old Testament. Women judges, and Deborah was a wonderful judge, and they lived under peace. And following Deborah was this guy by the name of Gideon. Now, Gideon ruled for 40 years, and after his death, Israel reverted almost immediately back to the idolatrous ways that they had known. Right before his death, his victory made the people offer him the role of a king. He had this great military victory, and they said, we want you to be our king. And he said, no, Israel is not ruled by men, it's ruled by God. We're going to remain a theocracy. We're not going to become a monarchy. You're not going to have a king. But it kind of whet his appetite um, for leadership. And so even though he didn't want to be a king, he acted like he was a king. And he did some things that he probably shouldn't have done. He acquired all the opulence and all the trappings of a king, including royal robes, and something that he never should have even touched. And that was the ephod. And in Chapter 8 of Judges, verse 27, we read, Gideon made the gold into an ephod 
which he placed in Oprah, his town. And all of Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. A thing, a piece of priestly clothing, an ephod. And then he made even a worse mistake in that he decided to form a harem. So he had all these ladies at his service and he began to have children. And verse 30 of chapter 8 And again, I'm just giving you some background here. It says he had 70 sons of his own. 70, 70. And he had many wives. Obviously, he'd have to if he had 70 sons, you know. But the thing that really created the difficulty was his willingness to put a sacred item in front of a holy God. The ephod really created the most difficulty. And you would think, if you know anything about Gideon, he had torn down his father's altar to Baal. He knew the dangers of idolatry. You would have thought that he would have recognized that putting something before Israel that was going to be a temptation to them that would serve maybe as an idol to them, he would have strayed away from that. But he didn't. And you and I need to learn from Gideon that we cannot put anything else in front of our focus, our relationship, our commitment to Jesus Christ. Not a church, not a a doctrine, not politics, not a politician. Jesus has got to remain number one in our life. So that's where we pick up the story. So Gideon died after he really kind of led Israel back into this state of idolatry. And he had this son, Ambimelech. Ambimelech is kind of the key figure of our story this morning. Parents, grandparents, want to remind you, children are always watching you. And they're learning from you. They learn more from your example than anything else. They watch you. And Ambimelech was carefully watching the actions of Gideon, taking notes And as happens even in modern day families, what parents do in moderation, the children will do in excess. And Israel took a wrong path at this point. And Ambimelech sets himself up as this impromptu leader. Anytime there's a void in leadership, someone's going to rise to the occasion. Not necessarily always God's man. And Bimelech set himself up as his impromptu leader over his 70 brothers that we just read about. And there's this, it's, it's an unnatural, unhealthy, excessive ambition about him that he wants to be the king. He wants to follow in the steps of his father Gideon. And so what does he do? He resorts to military force. He resorts to manipulation. We see it all the time in churches and in governments. We, we see people who are so driven to get in that position of position, they, they will do whatever it takes. And that's exactly what Ambimbalik did. 
He set himself over his brothers. He captured the place of rulership that his father had achieved. And in fact, to eliminate the competition from his brothers, he hires these mercenaries, these hoodlums, to go out and to kill his brothers. Under the guise of war, but behind the scenes, he's manipulating all this. Just as King David did when he was trying to solve the Bathsheba problem. Behind the scenes manipulation. So he has all his brothers killed. Except for one who manages to barely escape. And his name was Jotham. So he has this one brother and Jotham takes flight to this mountain called Mount Gerizim. It had been traditionally a place to pronounce blessings upon Israel, upon God's people. But on this day, something entirely different would occur. Apparently, from what I read, there's like an amphitheater of sorts on top of this mountain, or there was at the time. And Jotham climbs about 800 feet to the summit And he uses this wonderful natural acoustic to address Israel. And this is how Jotham addresses Israel. He uses a fable. A fable. He he makes up a story about a bunch of trees. And that's our text today. But I want to get understand because it's it's just kind of a, a strange text in itself. But he makes up this fable about these trees in the forest that want a king. And they approach the olive tree, and the olive tree turns them down. And then they approach the fig tree, and the fig tree turns them down. And then he approaches the grapevine, and the grapevine says, no, I'm not really interested. He finally gets to what is called a bramble, bramble bush, or your translation might say thorn bush. It's not a very prestigious plant. Let's pick up our story. We're in Judges chapter 9. I hope that background helps you. We're going to start with verse number 8. Jotham is on top. He's in the amphitheater. And he says, listen to me. One day, here's the fable. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. And they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the other trees? Let that sink in for a moment. We'll come back to it. Verse 10, next the tree said to the fig tree, come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit? so good and sweet to hold sway over the other trees. And then the tree said to the vine, why don't you come and be our king? And the vine answered, well, should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the bramble or the thorn bush, Hey, why don't you come and be our king? And the thorn bush said to the trees, 
Well, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. The thorn bush was a much lesser plant in its value to Israel than all the other trees. In fact, it was a menace. It was kind of like some of the weeds that are growing in our gardens, in our lawn, that chickweed that's so hard to get rid of. In fact, its only use was actually to be burned. Yet somehow, it becomes the king of the trees. Now, why did Jotham tell this parable? It became clear that all of the other brothers would have served in the role that Gideon, who had just died, had vacated. All of them would have, rather than Ambimelech. Ambimelech was that thorn bush. He was that bramble bush. Those were the qualities this guy had in him. But despite this warning, this speech that Jotham had given, Ambimelech became the bramble king for this short period of time over the country of Israel. Now, in passing, I've seen that happen even in my lifetime, where sometimes the least qualified are generally the most ambitious and want the seats of authority. Often it's the under-equipped who think, man, I, I can't do this. I feel uh, unqualified who God raises up to be the leaders. See, small people are often the most ambitious because what they lack in character, they make up with noise and overt displays of, of power. Now, in Bibelech, this bramble king didn't last very long in the history of Israel. In fact, he died after three short years of reign. He died with a millstone was dropped from this big high tower, and the millstone was dropped and hit him on the head, fractured his skull, and he was assassinated. And today, though, I want to concentrate on the olive tree. The olive tree. The part of the story where the olive tree says during the conversation with the people of that time or the other trees in Jotham, saying, no, I am content where God has placed me. I don't need a place of power. I don't need a position to feel significant in what God has called me to do. Now, as you leave this morning, I have a gift for you. As a reminder of this message. Years ago, I gave out a measuring tape. Someone called it to my attention a few months ago. They said, I still use that measuring tape. I said, do you remember what, why I gave you that measuring tape? And they said, yes, to always make sure that you measure things by the word of God. I said, good, you remembered. I'm glad the measuring tape has helped you. But I want to give to you, this is an olive wood cross. They're actually from Jerusalem. And uh, we've purchased these for you. And as you leave this morning, I just want you to grab one, take it, 
as a reminder of what we're going to learn today about the olive tree. Because there is great wisdom that comes from this lesson of the olive tree in its reply to the offer to be king. Verse number nine, let's look at that again. The olive tree answered, should I give up my oil? Now, if you're an old timer and you're using King James, the word will be fatness. Shall I give up my fatness? Newer translation says oil. It's what is of value that is blessing God and people. And there's great wisdom that comes from that. Our generation has a need to be content where God has placed them and to serve God well. Several lessons here. The first one is, do not, friends, do not give in to every whim and urge that comes your way. There's always going to be opportunities, but that doesn't mean that's what God wants you to do. Just because you can climb the corporate ladder does not mean that God wants you to climb the corporate ladder. Perhaps he wants you to stay right where you're at. The olive tree knew, man, I am producing what God has called me to produce. Why would I give that up when it's glorifying God and man just for a position as king? But sometimes you and I, every time we have opportunity for a promotion or a transfer or a place that we feel we're going to have more influence over people, we give in to it. The olive tree teaches us, don't give in to every whim, every urge. It might be a compromise in the way that you do business. It might be the whim of cutting your prayer time and Bible study down so you have more time for that favorite football team. Whatever that whim or urge is, the olive tree raised a question that we need to ask ourselves every time we come to a crossroads. And that question is, should I? Should I? Should I take this course of action? I so much appreciated Pastor Allen and Tern during the process after I had interviewed them, after they had visited our church, after we had talked about family ministry. They did not move quickly. Just because there was a great opportunity didn't mean they were just going to jump in. And I remember talking to Alan on the phone, and he said, you know, on the way back over the past, Taryn said, we really need to pray and see what God wants us to do. I knew what I wanted them to do. I think Alan knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to come over and join the sunny side of the state. <laughs> where there's fishing and hunting and all those things. I thought, man, just because the opportunity was there, they didn't just automatically jump at it because they were like the olive tree. They asked themselves, should I? When I was a kid, I was taught some bad theology. Maybe you were too. If, there, if you see a need, then you are called to meet that need. That's not necessarily right. You cannot meet every need that will come your way this week. But there are some of those needs that God is calling you to meet. 
So the question is to ask yourself, as the olive tree did, should I? What does the Holy Spirit want me to do? Because if you don't do that, man, you can make a choice on a whim or on a, an urge or on your own self-interest that will put you five or ten years behind where God wants you because you have to live through the fallout of that choice. Many of us can look back and say, I wish I hadn't made that choice. See, Paul addresses it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, all things are lawful for me. Oh, I could take that job. I could try to be king. I could do that. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. What is God calling you to do? And are you content? Or are you looking for a better opportunity? A more prestigious position. Let's ask ourselves the question the olive tree did, should I? Faithfulness knows that from just being steady, that there's going to be pains, there's going to be troubles that can be avoided. I've said this about pastors for years. It's hard to argue with the, the subjectivity of someone saying, well, I feel God is calling me. You know, you can't argue with that. But I've learned a long time ago the grass is not greener on the other side. Because you're dealing with people, and people are people no matter where you are. So faithfulness doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to avoid pains and troubles. In fact, instead of trying to avoid them, it's going to teach you how to work through them. Changing horses in midstream sometimes seems like a good thing to do, but it also opens yourself up to fresh temptations, fresh struggles, fresh doubts. Well, you know, great blessings are gained when a person is willing just to stay in the fight, work hard through the challenges, instead of looking for an easier place to serve. Most of the time, you and I need to stay exactly where God has planted us. We hear that, well, just bloom where you're planted, but we assume that means until God calls you to a better garden. Not necessarily. Stay in the middle of the battle. Stay firm. It pays huge dividends in the end. Again, we tend to think the grass is greener, maybe in another relationship, another marriage, another church, another vocation, another community. But when we avoid those things that God is using in our life to develop growth, to develop maturity, so when we run those things, we're actually being counterproductive. Here's a quote I love from Dennis Olcom. He's a professor at Azusa Pacific University down in California. We tend to believe the grass is greener in another marriage or church or vocation, but it's often the same hue. What is worse, we remain the same. Conversion and growth only happen when we remain, not when we run. Isn't that good? 
Don't give in to every whim and urge that comes your way just because you think it's going to be a better position, more prestigious or easier. Build your life to greatness by being faithful to what God calls you to do. Brings me to my second point. Faithfulness does equal usefulness. See, not only did the olive tree ask the question, should I, should I? But the olive tree added something to that. Should I give up my oil or my fatness? Another way that I think we can phrase that is, should I give up my usefulness? The olive tree knew that he was being useful. Should he give up that usefulness? I want to show you a picture of an olive tree. They're really interesting uh, trees. And I think it can help us understand the greatness of our Christian life. Uh, Olive tree normally will live between 500 and 900 years. It's pretty mind-boggling, isn't it? Some have been known to live a 1,000 years, but 500 to 900 years. They range in height from 10 feet to 60 feet, you know, depending on how they're pruned and, and all that. They don't bear fruit for five to eight years after they're planted. And they don't reach full development until 20 years. Now think of that. They can start producing olives at year five or six or seven. They will not reach their potential until year 20. I think, oh man, how many of God's people have bailed at year four because they don't see the fruit that they had hoped? How many people bail at year 10 or 11 because there's conflict in a relationship or conflict within a church, not realizing that faithfulness will bring you to that point of usefulness. They mature their full production between about 35 and 150 years of age. And during that time, they produce between 40 and 50 pounds of olives a year, which makes about a gallon to a gallon, maybe a gallon and a third of olive oil. One tree. That's all they produce. One to one and a third gallons of olive oil. We know that the oil is removed from the olive because we've studied this before through a process of pressure. (laughs) Sometimes that's where God wants us, in a place where we're feeling pressure because he wants to produce something in our life. Olive oil is known for its fragrance. Early Egyptians used olive oil to move those giant stones, when you see those pyramids and you think, man, how'd they do that? Well, they used olive oil. That was part of their secret. We know they used olive oil in lamps as a source of their light. I just read in 2020, just last year, consumption, global consumption of olive oil reached a record high. And it's doubled in the last 30 years. And those are all kind of cool facts, but I want you to think spiritually with me this morning. Spiritually, what can we learn from this tree that was offered to be the king? And he said, no, 
I'm useful where I'm at, and I'm going to remain faithful where I'm at. Faithfulness speaks of being at a place for a long time and serving well. And if it takes 500 years for an olive tree to, you know, to, to reach its lifespan, we've got to be under, we have to understand how sometimes we need to be diligent and committed and stick it out so that we can be productive. Oh, there's stories of missionaries back in the 40s and 50s that spent 20, 25 years on the foreign field and never saw a convert to Christianity. Yet the person that came in afterwards saw a great revival because that person plowed the ground for him. Faithfulness. Think of an olive tree. It has to contend with drought, just like we have to contend with drought sometimes in our life and disease. You know, sometimes I deal with this disease called jealousy. Sometimes it's pestilence. It's things Satan sends into our life to discourage us. Sometimes we can even suffer because those around us aren't supporting us the way that maybe they should. But think of the olive tree. Sometimes they suffer because of the poor skills of the farmer. Man, there is so much to think about here. Yet the olive tree remains faithful, just as Paul remained faithful. Paul's a great example of this. Man, we read, you know, of all the obstacles he had, you know, robbers and the perils of water and, and the heathen and the perils of the city and the wilderness and being in jail and the shipwrecks and the false accusations from the church leaders and in his own illness, his own thorn in the flesh and in hunger and thirst and he was cold and naked and but not one of those obstacles kept Paul from producing what God had asked him to produce. Friends, there are times that you and I need to put our foot down and refuse to move off the foundation that God has placed you. Now, I know that there are times that God moves people. And you know me well enough to know that I've tried to teach you to be led by the Holy Spirit. If God is uprooting you and as God has asked you to move, you need to be obedient to the Spirit. But friends, you need to make sure that it's the Holy Spirit moving you, not your feelings, not your own passions, not your desires. You need to be like the olive tree and say, should I? Should I really do this? Olive trees don't begin to bear fruit for five or six or seven years. And some of you have been called to areas of ministry, maybe even in your own family, and you get discouraged. And then the devil comes in there and he says, you're not being effective. Look, for three years, you have faithfully done this and this and this, and nothing's happened. And then pretty soon, yeah, well, that's true. And he puts doubt in your mind. But faithfulness will always lead to usefulness. Think about this. Sometimes trials come our way so that we can learn how to worship through them. Isn't that what Tammy just said a few minutes ago? 
Sometimes through all those trials and tribulations, you just need to learn how to put your hands in the air and trust God and worship him. Sometimes problems come into our life, friends, to teach us how to pray. I pray a lot more when I'm going through difficult times. I'll just be honest. Come on, you guys are the same way. Man, you're facing a tough time. You're on your knees praying. There's a disease about ready to, to take the life of a loved one. You're on your knees praying. Sometimes those problems are used of God. Sometimes the dilemmas of life come to our life to show us that God will show up, show his lessons even in his word. Sometimes trouble comes so that we can appreciate the seasons of blessings. To be honest, just because you're not bearing fruit right now on your time frame does not mean that you're not on God's schedule. Don't give in to the cry of those who want to crown you the king of a lesser kingdom that God has called you to be in. Man, if you're going to grow, if you're going to provide fruit, if you're going to bring oil to the vessel, if you're going to fully develop in the faith, if you're going to, to bring light to the dark generation, you have got to learn, as the olive tree did, the lesson of faithfulness. Stay the course. Fight the good fight. I need to wrap things up. My third point today, the first is don't give in to every opportunity, every whim, every, you know, you just can't resist this deal. Don't do that. And then be faithful to whatever God's called you to do. And then the third thing I want you to notice, faithfulness always means there's a focus. A focus. The Bible says, what does it mean to do the work of God? John chapter 6 Verse 29, Jesus said, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. The work of God is for you and I to believe in Jesus through it all, through our trials, through our tears, through our disappointments, through our temptation to become the king over a kingdom that God does not even want us in. The focus for us is to grow in life, not to be stagnant. And so often we think of Christianity as some kind of a moment. Yeah, we accepted Christ at that crusade. We accepted Christ at that altar. We said the sinner's prayer like it's some kind of, no. Following Jesus is a journey. <laughs> it's not just a one-time event. It's a life time journey of growing and maturing and becoming like Jesus. There's got to be a focus. Don't leave your usefulness. Remember I said the King James word for that was fatness? That's an interesting word because I went back to the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is deshen. Deshen is the Hebrew word. So King James translated that fatness NIV translated it usefulness. I don't know what, how your translation is, but the original word is deshen. So I looked that up. It means the ashes of the sacrifice. The ashes of the sacrifice. 
didn't quite understand that, so I had to pull out some Old Testament commentaries. The majority of the references to this word deshem or fatness are all associated with sacrifices. And here's the crux of the matter. How can you leave your sacrifice in order to attempt to work in a kingdom or in a position that is actually of lesser value in the eyes of God? Are you going to leave your sacrifice? Your part's important. My part is important. Bible talks us about being like a, a, a physical body, that all parts are needed. In fact, I, I want to read you that scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want you to be encouraged today. Wherever God has placed you, don't crave to be the king. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, well, I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear... Where would the sense of smell be? Listen, but God has placed you, you as individuals. God has placed each part of the body, every one of them, just where he wants them to be. Be secure in where God has placed you. Be like the olive tree. And even if someone comes and says, you can be king, say, shall I? Shall I give up my usefulness? Maybe more of us need to stay focused on where God has called us to be content and to be faithful than chasing after all these other opportunities. There's a great book. I haven't read the whole thing, but it's David Swig. It's called Invisibles. And then the subtitle is The Power of the Behind-the-Scenes Worker. It's a corporate book, a, a business book. Think of it, Invisibles, The Power of the Behind-the-Scenes Worker. How many times have we gone to the Mongolian Grill and we're so excited when we see the chef with those big sticks making our meal and we think, wow, we're all... Or go to Sumo. And then, you know, they do a little, little entertainment for you while they're fixing your food. But have you ever thought about, man, who chops all those vegetables? That is a lot of vegetables when you go to the walkabout. Who chops those? Now, who's got the important job there? The chef with the big hat or the person with the knife that's chopping the carrots? See, they're both necessary. That's what I'm saying. They're both necessary. You come and you see a worship leader and you see a pastor Sunday after Sunday. Have you ever thought about who unlocks the doors on Sunday morning, turns on the lights? Ever thought about who designs the graphics? Have you ever thought about 
Who's making sure the right verse is up there at the right time? All the behind the scenes. It's like, you know, we watch the news. We see the TV anchorman. We think, we don't stop to think someone wrote that script for him. Someone's behind the camera. Someone's done the lighting. I think my greatest example of that is, is this guy by the name of Barnabas. He's my New Testament hero. You don't hear a lot about Barnabas. But if it wasn't for Barnabas, we probably wouldn't hear a whole lot about Paul. Here's this guy who was killing Christians, who hated Christians, who made it known that he was going to destroy Christians. And then he has this conversion. At least we think it's a conversion. Didn't know at the time because there was no fruit. There was just a conversion experience. And a guy by the name of Barnabas listened to that conversion experience. And he didn't question, he didn't mock, he didn't think, well, this guy has ulterior motives. The Holy Spirit of God put in Barnabas' heart, you support him, you pave the way. And it was Barnabas that went to the other disciples and said, you know, this is really going to be hard for you to believe, but Saul has decided to follow Jesus. And I'm sure there's disciples saying, oh, sure he has. Yeah, we know his colors and they're not. But Barnabas worked behind the scenes in order to pave the way for the Apostle Paul's ministry. You might not be out in front, but your ministry is important. Man, it's like you have a 500-piece a puzzle. And you might have 498 of those pieces and you put it together, and you look, it's still not a complete picture, is it? Because those two other pieces do matter. You matter. Wherever you are in life, as a parent, an uncle, a cousin, a brother-in-law, as an employee, to your co-workers, to your employer, in the kingdom of God, Maybe you're one of those wonderful saints that prays every single day for the pastors of this church. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for not giving up your usefulness in the kingdom for something of more visible stature. Wherever God has placed you, I encourage you, be content. Don't give in to all these opportunities because they glitter and they're bright. But be like the olive tree. Say, shall I? Is that what God's asked me to do? And then wherever God's placed you, be faithful and be focused. Whatever you do, maybe you play third string violin, but be focused because that's what brings the beautiful harmony of the orchestra. You matter to God. Lessons from the olive tree. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can take your scripture and we can find applicable principles to apply to each of our lives. And Lord, I don't know where everyone is here in this congregation, but I know there are many times that we are tempted for something bigger and better. 
And instead, Lord, you just want us to continue to be useful where we're at. So I pray there'll be a spirit of contentment in each of our hearts and lives to where God has placed us. Help us to be willing, Lord, to say yes when you're actually calling us into a a new chapter of ministry or a new arena of life. But Lord, may we always be like that olive tree and ask the Holy Spirit, shall I do this? Is this your will or is this just my whim? And God, I pray for a spirit of faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for those at this congregation who have been so faithful, some, Lord, for decades, some, Lord, for years. And I thank you, Lord, that that faithfulness has produced usefulness and fruitfulness. And I pray in the days ahead, every time we look at this cross from the Holy Land, whether it's in our pocket or in our desk or in our glove box or in a junk drawer that we see once every three or four months, I pray that your Holy Spirit will use it as a visual reminder of the lessons we've learned today from the olive tree. In Jesus' name, amen.